We're going to be turning in our Bibles this morning to 2nd and 1st Corinthians, uh, one verse from one and a few verses from another. I picked up this Bible to bring over this morning to read Scripture from, and I, I found a, a bill in here, and uh, I thought about making it as a contribution to First Baptist Church this morning. It's for $100,000. That'd be pretty good. Only problem with it is it's from Zimbabwe. Uh, so this is uh, worth nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, I've got one that has the billion word on it uh, from Zimbabwe also, and that is worth nothing also, nothing. If you were trying to buy food in the markets today there, you would be expected to trade in dollars, U.S. dollars or euros, or they might on a good day take a South African rand, but the Zimbabwean dollar is worth nothing. Uh, that country used to feed the, the, the continent of Africa, or southern Africa. Uh, today, it's an economic disaster. Uh, but I looked at that and I thought, what if you woke up tomorrow and found that everything that you had put your life into was worthless? I mean, worthless. A lot of folks in Houston have experienced a lot of tragedy, and some people did lose everything. And you say, well, yeah, but most of those folks are going to have some kind of insurance, and the government's going to step in, and they'll rebuild, and Houston will be better than ever, and it, and it probably will be. Some people won't get over what they experienced. Uh, but imagine that you get up tomorrow on Labor Day, and you find that the fruits of your labor come to nothing, zeroed out. Nobody wants it. Uh, it's now worthless. Well, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians to challenge them with the concern that it's possible to live your life and come to the end of the road and find that all your labors were in vain, that the value, whatever value could be attached to different things that you might possess or might possess you, suddenly they're worthless. Their value has evaporated, and you stand there empty-handed. Now, you don't want that to happen, and there's a way around that. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians twice, uh, addresses that issue, and it's preserved for us in Scripture to warn us, to challenge us, and to encourage us that it really is possible to labor not in vain. It is possible to labor for that which will have enduring significance. It is possible to lay up treasure in heaven. You really can do that. The Bible says you can. Now, you might find that uncomfortable. So let's look carefully at what the apostle says. Uh, a year or so ago, we were going through 2 Corinthians, and we came to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And I want to start there, and I know we uh, this subject, it, it's going to overlap a little bit with what we were doing in, in 2 Corinthians. So we're just going to face that up front and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But you know, the subject I want to share with you from today, it really probably wouldn't hurt if we heard it once a month, maybe even more for some of us. Because in our American materialistically driven culture, we need to hear what the Apostle Paul says about this stuff. It really does make a difference. And it really is a part. Some subjects in Scripture you can say, well, that's for those people or that might apply to that generation. This is for all of us. This really does impact everybody's life sooner or later. It's inevitable. It will come home to you. What Paul says here 
This is for you. It could be written if it's though it's just for you alone. It has, you are a specific target to what Paul addresses here. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Or literally, it is necessary for all of us to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In downtown Corinth, there is the judgment seat. Uh, Judge, you, you got your place inside the courthouse. They did it outdoors there. It'd be like out in the parking lot at the mall. Uh, more comparable setting for the court setting of Corinth. The judge sat on a high platform, had his chair there, and the people very publicly would come before the watching world uh, to have their cases ruled on. And with that imagery, that would be about 100 yards. That judgment seat would be about 100 yards from where Paul started the Corinthian church. Not very far at all. That was just down the road off the market. And the, the, the throne, the judgment seat, is right in the middle of the market. And so these people pass that every day. Kind of like some of us go through this interchange and come down Bellevue every day. This was a part of their daily experience. They saw that image of a judgment seat. Nobody wanted to be there. You didn't especially want to be there as a witness, but let alone the person being prosecuted. It was a place to be avoided or unless, of course, the court was going to rule in your favor. We must all, it is necessary for all of us to appear before the judgment seat not of Corinth, but of Christ, of Christ. Paul doesn't say those heathen, the pagans, the unconverted are going to have to appear before Christ. This is a Christian letter written to Christians. Now, we're going to balance this with all of our proper kosher reform Baptist theology. We're going to get to that. But Paul says it's necessary. It's going to happen. You can't dodge it. You can't go around it. You can't come up with a, a plan to avoid it. It is necessary for all of us Christians to appear before the evaluation seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bimatos, in order that each one may receive back. You reap what you sow, that each one may receive back or be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. It is necessary, Paul says. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for everybody here this morning. No, don't get behind your hymn book. Uh, everybody here this morning will experience what Paul's talking about there. Everyone. It is necessary for everyone, every believer. Again, this is a Christian message for Christian folk, this is for the redeemed. This is for people who have made it into the kingdom. And he says that we're all going to answer for the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to answer for the things we've done in the body. Or in other words, in this life, you must appear before the judge, the perfect judge, the perfectly fair judge, Jesus Christ. Now we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which was written before what I just read to you. And Paul writes the first time to the Corinthians, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder. He uses architecton. It's what we get architect from. As a wise architect, I laid a foundation according to the grace of God. 
Paul's message over and over and over and over is the grace of God. The unmerited favor of God, uh, where a merciful, good God does for us not what we deserve, but better than we deserve. And we live and operate in the realm of grace. He says, with grace being my world now in Christ, with grace being my message through the gospel, I laid there in Corinth a foundation. And he says, literally, that having been given to me, I gave you what I was given by the grace of God. Even Paul's message was a gift from God. It was a grace gift from God. And he says, like a really good architect, I laid a foundation for you, and I'm gone. I'm coming back, going to visit you again and again. Uh, but I laid a foundation, and he says, and now another bill's on it. Somebody else is going forward with what I laid there by the grace of God. And here's the, the challenge, he says, but, O Corinthians, let each man, each woman, each believer be careful how he builds on that, how she builds on that. What do you do with your conversion? What do you do with your position in Christ? Now, I know what we believe. Uh, we are Baptists. We come out of an English Reformation background. We love Reformation theology that hammers away, that drives home the doctrine of grace. And we told folks from other Christian traditions, no, we're about the grace of God. We understand that we can never merit God's favor. We can't give enough. We can't go enough. We can't attend enough. We can't hold enough positions we can't do enough nice things to other people to ever merit the deliverance we have in Jesus Christ. You'll never get there. You may do better than somebody else, but you will never get there apart from the grace of God. And so we teach that virtually every week. It's woven into everything we say in a, a Baptist church like this, where we take the scripture seriously and we preach the gospel and we want to honor Christ. We, we keep coming back to that theme. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of itself, uh, not of our doing. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So that's what we teach. That's what we preach. And we will not change that because that's the truth. That's what we are. But now, the, the balance to that, and a lot of times we need a little bit of balance, the balance to that for good Baptist folk or evangelicals or whatever your background might be as you're among us, uh, the balance to that is... That doesn't mean you do nothing. And Baptist folk and churches like ours and all around the country over the years have taken what the, the truth of the gospel and the truth of the doctrine of grace and said, well, I guess that means we don't really have to worry about anything. If God takes care of it all and Christ has paid for all of it, all we got to do is just enjoy life. And Paul says, that's not the right interpretation or application what Paul's hammering here. This is, that's not the final story. You are supposed to actually do something with that transformation that Christ has brought to your life. It's not just a ticket. Uh, how many people sat in either Friday night or all day yesterday and into the night, how many people sat in a football stadium and watched a few people play a ball game? And a lot of us watched by television and it's fun and that's good. Nothing wrong with that. 
I'm not preaching against football, for goodness sake. But how many people participated by observation only yesterday in the world of sports? And somehow, even in proclaiming the, the doctrine of grace, we get this unscriptural notion that the Christian experience is we just come fill the stadium and take it in. And Christ does it all, and we just take it in, and we're there. Now, you can't add any merit to the finished work of the cross. Be real careful here. We're, we're on a, a narrow beam walking along here, uh, theologically. You're not going to add anything to the merit of the finished work of the cross that we sang about earlier. Jesus paid all of it, 100% of it. And so you're not going to, by anything you do, add to that or contribute to your salvation because you did this or that and helped Jesus out. But there is this resounding doctrine that Paul gives us, especially in the Corinthian letters, that because it is of grace, because you are a recipient of this incredible gift, you're supposed to do something in response to that. Your life is to reflect that. He says, I'm just the architect. I, I, I laid it out. Now, we talked about this building a few days ago, remember? And we talked about those who over uh, 100 years ago right here laid a foundation and built this structure for us as a gift to us. And Paul says, I gave you the foundation. And uh, your pastor probably is referring to a policy here. Your, your pastor and other leaders are building on that foundation. And you're building on the foundation. And the, the cause of Christ is going forward in Corinth. But he says, but everybody needs to be careful to look at how they're building, what they're building. I grew up in Atlanta uh, in my college years and post-college years having done real estate and urban development in college. I was, always, I was just fascinated by big-time downtown construction. And it was always fun uh, to walk by where they were taking down some old structure to build one of those granddaddy buildings, those things that scraped the sky. And they would dig, they would clear the site and then they would start digging, and they would dig, and they would dig, and they would go so far down, you'd think they were never going to go back up. And then they would lay this incredible foundation so that you could go 40, 50, 60 stories into the air and, and beyond. Paul says, I gave you the foundation. Not a foundation. I gave you the foundation that you needed because I was a wise master builder. He says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, we'll qualify verse 11 a little bit. You can lay all kind of foundations, and you've seen some bad ones. You may have lived on top of some bad ones or owned something that had a bad foundation, and you know the consequences of that. You can, you can lay. Yeah, you, Paul would say, yeah, I understand. You can go build another kind of foundation. Yeah, you can do that. Foolishly, you can do that. But in terms of having a goal of something that's going to endure, there is only one foundation which you can lay, which is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. Don't build your life on anything else. You will labor in vain. It will not endure. Uh, the group going to England and Scotland a few days ago. We went in some incredible buildings, some of them a thousand years old that are amazing structures built on remarkable foundations that have been sustained and maintained uh, for a millennium. But even that is not going to last forever. 
Paul says, I want you to build your life on something that is going to endure forever and ever and ever. And that foundation is Jesus. And you can do that. You can be wise enough. You and I today can be wise enough to go out of here and build our lives on that foundation. It says, now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, if, if you build, you got to have some materials to build, right? And he gives us really two groupings. You can study virtually any culture going all the way back to the beginning of recorded history, and you'll find that people in those cultures respected and revered gold and silver and precious stones. People like that. You can go in the British Museum and uh, walk the aisles uh, up and down through there and look at samplings of the great cultures, the Syrian and Babylonian, and, and, all, and you see that they like silver and they like gold and they like precious stones. And it's always been that way because people acknowledge the rarity of that and the enduring quality of that, uh, that they can be preserved. And he says he takes those as an image, a representation of good investment. And wood, hay, and straw, or wood, hay, and stubble, I think the King James says this. Wood, hay, and stubble. We all know what that is. That's the stuff I raked up in my backyard yesterday to take to the street to get rid of so that you have a better yard. Uh, that's there. And he says you can build on the foundation, that awesome foundation of Christ, you can build wood, hay, and straw. Just meaningless stuff. Each man's work will become evident. Eat, again, back to what I said. This is a Christian message for a Christian church to believers who are redeemed in Christ. Say, so, well, I don't know. That's not going to happen for me because I'm a Christian. Yeah, you're not going to come under the condemnation, the final awesome condemnation of the lost and condemned. But you'll answer for what you've done. And each man's work, he says, will become evident. It'll, it'll surface. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to burn you up or you're going to get burnt. He's saying, he's not talking about you personally. He's talking about what you've done with your life is going to be on the altar of Christ before the judge and the purging fire of his purity is going to do, it's either going to refine or consume. And gold and silver and precious stones are refined into higher beauty. And the precious uh, things are forever in his imagery. And the wood, hay, and stubble is consumed and, and gone forever. And again, he's not talking about the lostness of souls in this context. Lost people are lost forever once they die. But he's talking about what you've done in your life as Christians. A lot of what you've done is going to going to be gone, just consumed. Wow, well, now that was valuable stuff. Well, maybe to you. But it have, if it has no eternal significance, it's, it's gone. And the presence of Christ. He says, the day's going to show it. It's going to be evident. And the fire's going to test the quality of each man's work, each woman's work, every individual Christian. Uh, the, the presence of Christ is going to shine perfect light on what you have invested in. Everybody, you ought to know something about investing and take care of your, as a good steward, you ought to know about that. Uh, but 
the stewardship of your life is going to be evaluated at that point, Paul says. It's, this is serious stuff. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. That's awesome. This, now, this is a very negative passage unless you see the positive side of it, and it's a very encouraging message. There are people all over the globe this day. Some of them are at this night because they're on the other side, or they're different time zones around the world, but there are people all around the globe today who are laboring, wondering, am I doing this in vain? Does anybody see? Does anybody care? Is this going anywhere? And we hear Paul's words in another context saying, your labor's not in vain. And Paul says here to the Corinthians, if your work is built on the foundation of Christ and you've been faithful to it, in the end, you'll be rewarded for that. You don't have to worry about being unrecognized here. Don't worry about what people recognize you for in this life. It won't matter very soon. What will matter is your life and your soul and your investment of your life standing before Jesus Christ. And he says, if what you've done with your life is of enduring quality by God's definition, you'll be rewarded for that. That should excite you. That should motivate you. That's, that's incredible. You say, well, I thought heaven's just the same for everybody. You know, we're, we're all about grace and we're all going to be forgiven. You're going to be forgiven for everything by the grace of God. Yes. But I'm not promising you heaven's going to be exactly the same for everybody. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's talking about, some, and I can't define reward, but he said there will be reward on the other side for those who took seriously the claims of Christ, not just to commit themselves to Christ for salvation, but to commit themselves to his lordship and to service. That will be different for those folks. Those precious Bible translators that are in Papua New Guinea this morning, tonight for them or tomorrow for them already, those people are going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. And some of us will be envious, maybe, even. In, it's, oh, I think we'll, we'll be on the sidelines, like cheering for our favorite ball team, like, yay, look what our guys did in Papua New Guinea, yay, we, yeah. But we may look at our own lives and say, but what could I have done with my life? It says, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. This is not, theological check again, this is not the loss of salvation. Anybody who's really saved in Christ, you're not going to lose that. I believe with all my heart, the security of the believer, once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints, put whatever label you're most familiar with on it, that you're not, if it's the real thing, you're not going to lose your salvation. That's not what Paul's talking about here. But he says your work may be burned up, and you will, because of that, suffer loss. He says, but he himself will be saved. He will be saved. She'll be saved. Even if everything you've invested in was a poor judgment investment uh, and you, it's consumed and doesn't endure, you'll still be saved. He says, yet yeah, it's through fire. It's purged out. Now, this is not a doctrine of purgatory. This doesn't come, this, it's, it's, that would completely miss the point Paul's making here. 
This is not like you got some bad stuff and you're going to have to go get that dealt with and then you go to heaven. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about taking your life, setting it before Christ. Christ says, this was good. Uh, This honored me. This served the kingdom. This was of eternal significance. And this stuff, no, that's not coming in. Out of the picture. So be careful with what he's saying, but hear what he's saying. It's possible to live a life as a Christian, to live a long life as a Christian, and at the end of the road in the presence of Christ, have very little to show for it in terms of eternal significance and commitment. And now you get in a group like our Sunday morning group here. I love this church and you're great people. And we get in our kind of company and we feel pretty good about how, how we think and how we live compared to a lot of the rest of the world. And we think, well, uh, you know, grace is operating and, and everything. We probably, this crowd here, doesn't run the risk of being guilty of horrendous sins or crimes against other people. You know, I know where you go and what you do and how you think and what's important to you. And, you, you know, uh, you're not going to go murder somebody or rob a bank tomorrow. That's not going to happen, not with this crowd. The risk for us is that we come to the end of our days and we've just sat it out. We've been in the grandstands instead of on the field. And so there's nothing really to show of substance for what you've done with your life. Now, to me, that's tragic. What's what's glorious is that Christ still wants you and you will be saved. He said, you will be saved. But there will be a sense of loss, a sense of regret. And I regret that there will be a sense of regret. Except that it might motivate us in the present to say, well, what will we do with our lives? Gold and silver and precious. Let me suggest to you, I'm not going to try to link each of these three things to gold and silver and precious stones. Don't don't overanalyze the illustration. But uh, let me suggest three things represented by the gold and silver and precious stones very quickly for you. A life of service where you do something according to how God has gifted you and given you opportunity, you do something where you serve the cause of Christ till you die. A life of stewardship where you see what you have is ultimately his uh, to be used for him. A life of stewardship until you die. And a life of personal holiness where your life does honor Christ. And what people see outwardly in the testimony of your life and what you know in your own heart that it's all on the page of God's will for you, God's purposes for your life. That's investing in gold and silver and precious stones. Not something you get at the jewelry store. Not, don't have a problem with that. But it's not something that you can obtain here. It's something that you become as you live for Christ. And wood, hay, and stubble might be radical, horrible sin, but it might just be the sin of indifference or carelessness. Watching two or three good football games and deciding to watch five more when you could have done something for the kingdom. And you could go, I won't pick on any other groups. So pick on, I'm a football fan. So. But you can waste your life, and Paul is pleading with the Corinthians, Oh, believers, don't waste your life. Don't come to the end and stand in the presence of Jesus who paid it all for you and be a recipient of his amazing grace and have nothing to offer back. 
Don't show up at the party with no gift. Don't show up at judgment, the believer's judgment, with nothing to say, Lord Jesus, here's what I did. Now, every individual has got to discover for themselves what it is your best opportunity of contributing to the cause is. What God has called you to do and to be. But everybody in the room this morning can be a recipient of the grace of God and be saved by the grace of God. And everybody here this morning can, on that foundation, live a meaningful, purposeful life. It is a sad thing for people saved by grace through faith to leave uh, behind nothing to show for all the years that followed that conversion experience to get up every Monday morning and have no purpose that focuses on Christ. No purpose that expands the kingdom of Christ. Oh, that God might give us a heart for things that matter. I go to ball games. I've gone to NASCAR races and didn't think it was a waste of time. It's family time. We don't want to nitpick. But we do want to understand that somewhere in our lives, there must be some serious element where we do business with God and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? St. Paul's, where we went the other day, the pediment up above the columns in the main entrance to the great cathedral in downtown London shows the conversion of the Apostle Paul knocked off his horse. It's all carved in stone up there as a reminder of Paul's central message. And Paul's question was, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is it you want me to do? We've lost some key players on our team here at First Baptist Church in recent days who gave and understood what Paul's talking about here. The question for all of us, not knowing whether we've got six months or 60 more years, the question is, Lord, what do we do right now with the balance of what you've given us? What would you have us to do? I want to ask you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning for the role model of the Apostle Paul who burned out his life serving you. We're grateful for the doctrine of grace which he teaches us through Scripture. And we're grateful this morning for his challenge to the believers to be serious about the investment of their lives. Lord, help us to reflect even today, even on this holiday, when we've got a little extra time maybe, help us to reflect on what we're doing with our time and our energy, our financial resources. Lord, what would you have us to do? We don't want to come to the end of the road with a bunch of wood and hay and straw. Uh, help us to invest wisely. We're grateful for the wise master builder who set the gospel out there for us. But Lord, help us to build on the foundation in a way that pleases you and accomplishes your purposes and bears witness of your work in our lives. Forgive us for the years of, and, and hours of complacency the wasted opportunity, the missed times when we could have done something significant that would make a difference in somebody else's life forever. Lord, we ask that you just continue to teach us from these passages. We've just introduced them uh, this morning. We ask that you'd show us how it applies individually to each of us as we go forward from here. Thank you for your goodness. We do stand amazed at your grace. We're, we're rejoicing in our redemption in Christ. And, uh, Lord, we just want to recommit ourselves to do what you want us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.